This is Sailor. Welcome to another episode of Metal Rock and Whiskey. Hey, hey, everybody. How's it going? What's up, Sailor? Good it's Metal Rock and Whiskey time, and we're all together, <laughs> and we're hanging out, and we're recording. Yay! Yay! <laughs> so exciting. <laughs> and it's no longer the three-person triangle of oh. uh, windows here. I do see a fourth window here. Yes. If you're watching on YouTube, obviously, dead giveaway. But uh, if if you were listening, you don't know what the fuck we're talking about. No, but uh, (laughs) we do have a very special guest this evening. Um, A good friend of mine from the internet wrestling community. Uh, As far as I'm concerned, one of the best uh, wrestling podcasts that is available now called Through the Table. Wow. Uh, High praise. Yes. uh, It's. Second best next to mine, of course. Um, <laughs> Wait, say that. Hold on, hold on, back up. Yeah. Okay, wrestling podcast. Our guest. It's called Through the Table. Y- yeah. Yes, man. Okay. Okay. All right. Like if someone gets thrown out of the ring and they fall through the table. <laughs> Could be. Okay. <laughs> and then, okay. of course, you remember. Uh, our very own Whiskey Obsessor, Matt's show with Mrs. Whiskey Obsessor, Jenna, from Pretty Good for a Girl. They have their own wrestling podcast called Wrestling with Respect. Just to catch everybody up because it's been a while. Yes, been a long time. Um, but I want to ask Chris, though, real quick, um, if you can just give us a brief synopsis of what your podcast, obviously it's about professional wrestling, but how to get started, you know, how do you have such a huge footprint on social media, which you guys do really? Um, so go ahead. So thanks again, Matt, for one, for being a long time supporter of our podcast. And thank you again for the high praise. Of course. Uh, that really means a lot to me. And um, pretty much through the table got started between me and my high school best friend, Gerard, who our friendship pretty much entails professional wrestling. We, <laughs> never actually had a class together we just knew each other because we sat at the same lunch table and we always talked to wrestling so we try to bring that vibe of people just getting together shooting the shit you know not necessarily always being so analytical about the subject matter but just having fun and having fun conversations and you know it it gets pretty crazy sometimes and at some point we just decided why don't we just put a microphone in front of us and hit the record button and have these conversations and also allow other people to be part of the conversation. So that's pretty much it. It's just two best friends uh, bonding over the one thing that we probably love the most outside of metal and whiskey, of course, for me. 
<laughs> yeah, I love, love it. it. That format seems to work really well. I know it really works well for me because yeah, some of my favorite podcasts just kind of follow that same um, kind of outline. You just get a, a group of group of people together, you know, not necessarily scripted, but they might have a topic to talk about, and then they just kind of shoot the shit, and it uh, ends up being a good show. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, we have fun doing it. And uh, we just celebrated our two-year birthday at the end of September. So uh, going into our third year, hopefully being a strong third year for us. Awesome. awesome. Looking forward to it. I was going through boxes. I just moved houses recently and came across the um, window decals you had made for us, Matt. And came across the decal and looked at it. Metal Rock and Whiskey established 2018. And I was like, really? Damn. <laughs> Doesn't it seem like so much longer ago than two years, though? Oh, Considering everything that's happening. Than two yeah. Years. Yeah. Well, considering we actually started recording in 2017. 17, yes. But, yes. Uh, yeah, our first yeah. episode didn't air till January of 2018. Yeah, because we're almost yeah. at the end of 2020, so that's going to be three years. So yeah, it's really yeah. three and a half years. Yeah, three years we, since we started. Uh, we kind of all put this together and mm -hmm. started doing the practices and whatnot. So, yeah. <laughs> we can only, we can only hope we can all get through 2020. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I don't. That doesn't count count for me though, because I don't remember those early recordings for multiple reasons. <laughs> <laughs> it was like three months yeah. of recordings that oh, we never that just went into yeah. the trash because it was we were the trash. Little, little podcast virgins that you know <laughs> talking music and whiskey at the time. Yeah. You were, Drinking you were more clearly yeah. focused on the whiskey part of yes, we were, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We all had to yeah. learn to uh, fine tune that and kind of balance it out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Here we are. <laughs> Pace ourselves. Here we are, indeed. <laughs> yeah. All right, so uh, Ed. Yes, ma'am. Something to say about our. All right. Well, <laughs> we decided to take another break in our uh, hair metal series here, but uh, don't anyone worry because it's uh, it's for a good cause. We had a, the opportunity to have this very special guest join us, and um, we are very excited to have her on. And uh, yes, we've already done his introduction. <laughs> so, uh, Matt, do you have anything you would like to add before we continue? Uh, no, I think we should just get it right into what we're drinking. So we can yeah. talking, about, talking about some music and some other stuff. So, uh, as always, you know, the show is called metal rock and whiskey. Although whiskey is third in the title, it is not the least important, uh, as we always discuss. Uh, and this is where we go around the horn, talk about what we have in our glass, talk about anything else whiskey related we want to talk about. So, uh, who wants to kick us off? I think we should have our guest kick us off actually. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Good to me. So I am simping on some Basil Hayden's Kentucky bourbon oh. in my fancy Norlin whiskey glass. Yeah, it's a fancy glass yeah. there you got there. I had, I had to buy a proper glass just for this occasion because it's, you know, it's metal rock and whiskey. And although it. it might be third in the title, it's clearly number one in Matt's heart. So yes, yeah. here I am with my Basil Hayden's. There you go. Cheers, Cheers to, that. to that. Yeah. What about you, Ed? Well, um, I was thinking about what I wanted to drink, looking through my cabinet, and decided to go with something I hadn't uh, hadn't pulled out in a while. And it's it also harkens back to our anthrax episode, if oh. you all remember our anthrax episode, where we had a barrel pick of this uh, whiskey. 
Oh, yeah. the, um, I know what it is. The awesome birthday present. Thanks, uh, guys. Single barrel, 120 proof, mm-hmm. right here. And I'll tell you what. I remember liking it during that episode, and it's, it's still a, a damn fine whiskey. Get it out of that Glen Cairn glass, Ed. I'm going to kick your butt. <laughs> well, it's a metal rock and whiskey, Glen Cairn. I know, glass. but you can't. It needs to go in a, in a wider mouth glass. I know. Because it's so high proof. But, as anyway, enjoy it. but yeah, it's, it is very high proof, but it, it I don't know, it, it doesn't drink. I don't think like 120 to me anyway, yeah, um, because it's so damn delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah. more, it's it's weird because I tend to like more on the sweeter side, but this is, tends to lean a little more on the savory side, mm-hmm. um, which I do like too. But it's good to change things up every once in a while. Uh, so that's what I'm drinking tonight. I love the uh, the caramel and the uh, I'm almost like a tobacco notes. It got has a mm-hmm. beer and um, yeah. Really loving it. Do you know color, where my bottle is? Color's insane. What's that? <laughs> where the is bottle that? you guys got me for my birthday? It is still in Massachusetts this whole time. <laughs> so I haven't tasted it in oh my about God. two years now. Yeah. So well, this that's a good way to uh, save it from yourself. From that is true. <laughs> that is true. I miss it though, and thank God the person I left my bottles with, Kelly, doesn't drink whiskey so they're safe <laughs> oh so chris just so you know the backstory and our listeners too this was a bottle it was a single single barrel of um knob creek 120 proof that was actually selected by the band anthrax mm-hmm. and nice. uh, we were very fortunate to get our hands on a bottle and me um and then our then co-host jake and matt kind of got together and bought it for sailor as a birthday present so nice. nice. Such nice guys. And then she forgot These two it. gentlemen. <laughs> no, I didn't forget it. I just didn't. I wasn't going to drive across the country with my whole whiskey collection. And I didn't expect to stay out here. Here I am still. And all that whiskey is back there. But that's okay. That's all like right. You, said, you know it's safe. That's I know it's safe. Yeah. I know it's safe. It's in. To use a non-drinker. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Matt? What are you drinking? Well, I'm going to break the little Jim Beam thread we got going on here between Basil Hayden's and Knob Creek. Um, I'm drinking Pin Pinhook, uh, their foolproof bourbon, uh, 57.25%. This, um, I know our whiskey listeners will know what, what Pinhook, the brand, is. Um, it's one of those what I call sort of new buzz brands that's been going around a lot on social media. You know, new riff, I would put in that same category. Uh mm-hmm. Now the smoke wagon that I've seen everywhere too would be another one of those mm-hmm. that I've seen everywhere. Uh, but this is my third bottle of Pinhook. I have their uh, standard straight bourbon, um, and I have their rye. And you know, if a foolproof bourbon, I mean, I'm just in love with most of them that I have. There are very few that I've had that I don't like. Um, unfiltered, uncut, just uh, amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. Amazing, amazing stuff. I have not tried it. Caramel bomb, definitely a caramel bomb. Hmm. Sounds good to me. What's the yeah, price on that? Uh, one fourteen point five. Okay. What's the price yeah. like on it? It's not terrible. It's about fifty five dollars. Oh, that's not bad. Well, no, yeah. not for full proof. Yeah, no, that's Is that a barrel strength. You said or? Yeah, full proof barrel strength. Yeah. Nice. Yes. 
Good, good stuff. Well, I'm going to fuck everything up because I'm not drinking an American whiskey. <laughs> I'm drinking scotch tonight. Um, and I have just began. So I'm starting to taste my way through a lot of space side and um, beginning to pick up the smoky stuff and find figure out what I like and what I don't like. And so I'm, I've heard a lot about Glenn Farkless and obviously some of the special releases. But I just grabbed their 10 year as my first um foray into it and uh it's it's a highland and it is not what i expected at all it's very the tenure is super light um it's like a dessert whiskey i would say uh, i'm not a dessert person so but w- the nose i smelled it i'm like oh is this just gonna be you know very similar to all the rest of the highlands and i don't really need to put this in on my shelf because i have others but the minute i tasted it it was something completely different so it's like cupcakes in a bottle vanilla cupcakes so i you know it's usually that fruit basket that dried fruit um but this is just not overly sweet really light um it's it's there's a simplicity of the complexity if that makes sense uh nothing's competing with itself inside this juice it's just really really pleasurable a really nice uh light dram it'd be a great this is a great i would say like a summer dram or an after dinner if you want you know like a little dessert something like that i really really enjoy it so um and i've had the 12 and it's that's absolutely spectacular so i'm gonna go for um work my way through their expressions so cool because nice. the one that you had last week, the Glen Moray, mm-hmm. you your description of that was very much the opposite. You were saying it was a, a kind of a brunch whiskey, a before dinner whiskey. Yeah, and uh, it just shows so you the diversity of flavor profiles when you mm-hmm. get into Scotch whiskey, which is why it's my number one love. Yeah, I mean it's just like with bourbon. I mean you can't put five bourbons. I mean you could, but. I can put five bourbons together that are from the same place in Kentucky and they taste completely different. You know, I can do the same thing with Tennessee whiskey. I can do the same thing with American rise. Never, ever judge a category based on one or two expressions, I guess is the moral of the story. Mm -hmm. This is, I mean, Ed, you would like this a lot. I would, and it's priced really well. Um, I can't judge anything on Washington prices. So I would say grab a bottle of this. I really, you would really, really enjoy this. It is so surprising. All right. If I'm in the mood for some scotch, I will definitely look for that one. So that's what we're all drinking tonight. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Thank Cheers. you guys Cheers. for having me. Cheers, well, of course. listeners. If you're not driving, I hope you're drinking. <laughs> or not operating heavy machinery or whatever <laughs> else you do if you listen to a podcast. All right. Touché. So uh, tonight we are going to discuss a band that I have been putting off discussing for a long time. Um, I have a lot of issues with this band because of the category I believe it falls in. Um, And then there's a few other things. So we're just going to get right into this. And um, Christian, uh, I hope you're prepared for what we do here (laughs) on Metal Rock and Whiskey. (laughs) I I tried to catch up and, and do a little bit of homework and <laughs> a couple of past episodes to kind of prepare myself. And Those weren't even the rough ones. But, um, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's do it. I'm excited. All right, here we go. Tonight, we are going to be talking about Slipknot. 
Bum, bum, bum. So Slipknot is a new metal band. I will not call them a metal band from Des Moines, Iowa. Actually, I want to tell you guys something in case you hear me say Des Moines. There is a city in Washington and it's spelled exactly the same way, but they pronounce it Des Moines. I, I and I try have tried to not I don't want to start pronouncing it like that because it's crazy to me. But just in case. Um, okay, so the band was founded in 1995 by percussionist Sean Crahan, drummer Joey Jordanson, and bassist Paul Gray. On December 4th of that year, um, them with some other dudes uh, began playing in other uh, that were in other uh, metal and rock bands in the area. They made their live debut together. They played a benefit show in town, and they called themselves Meld. So much of the band's early development was attributed to late night planning sessions at a gas station where one of the guys worked nights. And uh, as they were standing there shooting the shit one night and making plans, they uh, decided changing the name to Slipknot after a song they were writing of the same name. So in December of that same year, um, 1995, Slipknot began recording material at SR Audio, a studio in the band's little hometown. They didn't have a recording contract, so they self-financed the project, which back them set them back about 40 grand, which if you were making music back then, you know that that is pretty much was the going rate. Uh, so their initial guitarist, Donnie Steele, left right away after they finished recording. Um, during the mixing of the album, Craig Jones was recorded as Steele's replacement on guitar. Um, but during the mixing, they were adding samples and they realized that they couldn't produce this live. So Jones became the band's sampler and mix, Mick Thompson was brought in as a replacement guitarist. So um, after a self-professed complicated time with mixing and mastering, the band released their demo Mate Feed Kill Repeat, lovely, and they released it on Halloween of 1996. <laughs> All right, so because uh, they were self-financed, of course it meant they had to distribute they had to just distribute this record by themselves, this demo, um, and so their producer uh, helped a little bit. It was finally handed over to a small distribution company called Ismus Recordings in 1997. So they received a little bit of airplay um, on local radio stations off of the back of the demo, but no real um, interest from record labels. Of course, they're not really a radio-friendly band. Uh, so the band returned to the studio to develop new material. So it's at this time that they sought more melodic vocals for their music, and in comes Corey Taylor, who's probably the most well-known member of this band. Um, he was recruited from another local mm. band, um, and this moved Colsefini Col um, into backing vocals and percussion. So more lineup changes. La, 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 la. Um, that's going to be a theme with this band. Um, in early 1998, they produced a second demo and it featured five tracks and it was exclusively for record labels. And they began receiving a lot of attention. In February of 1998, producer Ross Robinson, who produced bands like Korn, Deftones, Glassjaw, Machine Head, Sepultura, he was definitely the new metal producer of that late 90s, early 2000s. He offered to produce their demo album after attending some rehearsals in Des Moines on one of the label's requests. So at this point, they have nine members in the band, because why not? 
Um, then in late June of 98, they received a half a million dollar seven album deal from Roadrunner Records. Probably the best label for them to go with um, during this is period. That, is that half a million per album or is that no. half a million in total for seven albums? It would be for seven albums. They're nobody oh. yet. Okay. All right. you, can always, you can always add money to that, but that's where it starts out. I guess based on performance. Yeah. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so, okay. I can't even begin to follow the lineup changes here with this fucking band. There have been <laughs> 15 band members and the band has only released six albums. That's not the worst we've seen though. <laughs> no, but get the fuck out of here. All right. So anyway, they're signed now. They've got a record deal. Um, they were put on their first tour, which was Ozfest in 1999. I can't imagine a better way to launch a band in 1999 than putting them on the Ozfest stage. Um, so their self-titled first album was then released, um, on June 29th while they're on the Ozfest tour. Absolutely brilliant. So they toured several countries throughout 99 and 2000 in support of the album. And in early 2000, Slipknot, the album was certified platinum, a first for any album released by Roadrunner Records. Um, I have a funny story later about that because I kind of benefited from this all happening. We'll get into that. So anticipation for their second album was really crazy. It's early 2001. And so at that time, the, some of the bench, uh, bands that I mentioned previously are just killing it all over MTV, all over the radio. This is the time for this kind of sound. So they began recording their second album at Sound City in L.A., uh, recording their second album ended in February of 2001. And the band embarked on their next tour, which was the Iowa World Tour. So Iowa's Slipknot, uh, second Slipknot album was released 2001. It peaked at number three on the Billboard charts and number one in the UK. Mind you, I'm living in Europe at the time. So I remember how ridiculously popular these fuckers were. So uh, this album produced three singles and one appeared on the soundtrack for the film Resident Evil. Uh, in 2002, Slipknot appeared in the Rollerball um, <laughs> movie performing I Am Hated. Oh yeah. Rollerball. Rollerball. Roller wow. Which is a remake. Yes, yeah. it's a remake. Yep. Exactly. Um, so after that, they they every single show on their next tour was completely sold out all around the world. And we're talking major arena venues. So then this is all happening. Lots of success, right? Um, fruits of your hard labors. Slipknot goes on hiatus because of internal conflict. I mean, you've been a band for five fucking minutes. Grow up. But anyway, after several delays, Slipknot had moved into the mansion in L.A. If you guys are not familiar with the, the mansion. mansion, the mm -hmm. mansion it's rick's rubens famed recording studio mansion where you sleep there and you record there for example red hot chili bands. peppers mm -hmm. marilyn manson audio slave lincoln park jay-z they've all recorded there um so this is mid 2003 and they're supposed to be working on their third album along with rick rubin as producer fucking bizarre choice but anyway um apparently they ended up getting their shit together in early 2004. They, uh, the work on the album had begun and that gives us subliminal verses. They went on a world tour. They released the album while on tour and it peaked at number two on the billboard album charts. 
So touring continues through 2004 up to the end of 2005 before the band goes on hiatus for the second time. <sighs> the fuck. <laughs> so then <laughs> preparation for Slipknot's fourth album begins towards the end of 2007. Okay, let me just go back for a minute. Touring continued through 2004 up to the end of 2005. Then they don't begin preparing for their next album until 2007. Like, you're a fucking new band crushing it. Whatever. So they this time decide to work at Sound Farm Studio in Jamaica, Iowa, in their own in their own backyard. And this time they work with producer David Fortman. He's producer uh, of Evanescence, Superjoint, Mudvayne, Godsmack, Ugly Kid Joe. So the album is finished. And in June of 2008, they, sorry, August of 2008, they release it. And they go on another world tour. All Hope is Gone, it was called. So now this album releases, debuts at number one on the Billboard albums chart. So they tour through 2008 and continue until Halloween 2009. And then they go on a third hiatus. So now I'm fucking done with these dummies. <laughs> so for sake of discussion we're gonna talk about the three albums that were mentioned because i can't fucking deal with it anymore um i just want to give you guys a little some little pieces about these albums okay so let's start with slipknot their first album um okay after the album's release the band had to remove two tracks um otherwise they would have had to take the whole album off the market after allegations of copyright infringement, the song Purity and Frail Limb Nursery were inspired by a story published online about a girl named Purity Knight who is kidnapped and buried alive. The website called Crime Scene prevents, presents fictional stories as real-life crime cases. Originally, the website included no, disclaim, no disclaimer saying it was a work of fiction. Many readers believe the story to be true, including Corey Taylor. And I quote, I still think the story is real. It fucked our whole world up when we read it. Can you imagine a girl being buried in a box and have all this lecherous bullshit drip down on her from this guy? It just hurts your head, end quote. The case was complicated by audio samples um, that they, they used from the website. Of course. <laughs> so they took the songs off, re-released the album, everything's fine. Uh, Wait and Bleed off of that album, by the way, was nominated for Best Metal Performance at the 2001 Grammy Awards. It lost to Deftones Elite, as it should have done. Um, all right, let's discuss this album before we move on to the next one. Let's discuss their their first release, Slipknot. Who wants to go first? <laughs> or we can all go together. I need a drink. Mm. Well, I listened to it for the first time today, I can tell you that. Oh, fresh, fresh perspective. Yeah, okay. fresh ears. That's good yeah. To have. Great. fresh ears are good. Yeah. Um, what, what, what do you think? My impression of the band, well, as I didn't really know a lot, wasn't too familiar with their music. You know, I kind of knew the genre they were, new metal, and I think I've heard maybe bits of their music here and there, but never really sat down and said, "Okay, I'm going to listen to Slipknot." This is the first time ever. Um. So. <laughs> I can appreciate the musicianship that they bring to the table, but again, this this falls into one kind of 
thing that really kind of turns me off is the vocals. All right. Now I'm very picky about vocals in, in bands that I listen to. Um, there have been a lot of bands out there, which I would probably like a lot better if it wasn't for the Lamb of God is one of those bands. Perfect example. This would fall right in there with Lamb of God. Um, I dig the riffs. The, the drumming is amazing. Um, it does get a little repetitive, um, but the vocals, I think, just, you know, is just just not my style. You know, but I can see why this would appeal to a lot of people, though, as you know, they have had a lot of success. That's my quick take on it. <laughs> Anyone else? So I'll go, I guess. Yeah. I guess as the one fan in the group tonight. <laughs> Don't get ahead of yourself. Just wait. <laughs> it's good. good to know that we're tag teaming on here. Uh, maybe. Maybe. Hopefully. <laughs> um, I, first of all, I appreciate the history lesson because I learned a few new things. And I do know that they do have like a very, very complicated history mm -hmm. in that band. Uh, but going to their first album, uh, the self-titled, it's one of the records that I bought on vinyl because I started collecting vinyl records. And for those that are like really into their music, I think their first four tracks are like, they're like putting a, a cleanup hitter for those that understand baseball. They're like putting a cleanup hitter as your one, two, three, and four hitter, like to start off. It's it's right out of the gate, just like a hundred miles an hour, going full power, uh, just on those first four tracks alone. And some of those, like "Sick" and "Eyeless," are probably like two of my favorite Slipknot tracks ever. So, um, when I do get into my moods of having a Slipknot listening session, this is the album that I probably go back to the most. So, I'm a big fan of the of their uh, self titled debut. I mean, the, the, the critical reception it received was phenomenal. Um, you know, they had a Grammy nomination. They, um, they won Best Single Award at the 2000 Kerrang! Awards. Um, I mean, it, it, the, way, the way it tracked on the charts. I mean, the, this is a, the critics loved, loved this album. And obviously, so did young fans at the time. My turn. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I'll start off by painting a bigger picture of uh, rock music. I'll, I'll use the broad definition rock at that time, 1999. Um, what I consider a very barren hellscape um, for hard rock music. I think Sailor would agree with me on that one. Um, you know, you had named a number of bands that were kind of peaking at that time or starting to find their foothold. Uh, but if you look at the kind of music out there that was dominating the charts in general, or that was all over MTV, yeah, this stuff got some MTV play, corn, all that stuff. But you're talking, this is like late nineties fucking boy band shit. And you know, Britney Spears is everywhere. Stuff is getting softer and softer and softer and softer. Um, and I think that some of those really super duper hardcore hard rock and metal fans were looking for something super aggressive, uh, super, uh, just angry and different to sink their teeth into, uh, corn 
gives you a tease, I think, with that. Mm-hmm. But uh, but they don't you know, sometimes. They, they don't they don't satiate the 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 hunger for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think lending to this album's popularity um, is uh, I'll call it a gimmick, I guess. You know, lending to wrestling and stuff like that. You know, their their look, their sound, uh, the aggression that they bring in all of their performances and in this album, as you said, the first four tracks, but really track one through 15, I guess um, I, I think it did. It, it satiated sort of a primal um, need for something at that time. So I understand the popularity of it. Me personally, um, there are a couple of songs on this album that I fucking love. I'm just going to say it right now. So wait and bleed. Uh, I do like that. I do love that song. And surfacing is another song that I used to listen to before a fucking hockey game. Like when I'm playing hockey and I listen to that song, I I'm fucking ready to go a thousand miles an hour out of the gate. That'll make me um, want to into the boards real quick. Exactly. That makes me want to kill. That song makes me want to kill somebody um, outside of those two songs. Um, I can go back to what something that Ed said and say that it does get very repetitive. I think it, they would have done them more of a, done more of a service to themselves to make it a shorter album. Maybe uh, I think 15 tracks might be a little bit too much, um, but uh, I think the album served a need at the time. Uh, and those two songs, I will say um, I have absolutely no problem with those two songs at all. I like your point about there being a pent up demand for harder music at that time. That's a very good point, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, not too many bands who would get into that, uh, that super hard, fast kind of like, um, you know, thrash metal was completely out of the picture. At yeah. That Cause time. I mean, you, you have Metallica practical purposes anyway. I'm sure yeah, there I are mean, a lot of underground bands, yeah. but Metallica had changed and you know, so let me give you guys other bands, yeah. from inside the industry because it just so happens. I, I was in the music industry during all of this. So there's only two times in my life that I've left the spirits industry and told to get a big girl job and all of that baloney. And this is one of the times. And this is the, <laughs> I ended up going. That's where you ended it. up. <laughs> uh, with my accident. Um, but what was happening at the time, hardcore was turning into another type of metal, right? That's what's happening in the underground. That's what ha- That's what's happening in live shows that kids have access to. That's what bands are coming up and playing if they like anything hard. Um, So I totally agree with you, Matt, that that's what people were looking for because hardcore had started to walk away from metal completely as well, which was really weird. It took this weird spin. And then we, we, there, there was this split that happened where you had the like, the like beat down hardcore, we called it. And then the like, hardcore metal mm. right um and new metal were the bands that were like that the slipknot is a perfect example corn is a perfect example lincoln park but those are all very polished they're very radio friendly there's something different altogether. but what was happening that was so raw like some of the best um underground shows or independent shows small shows that i've ever seen in my life were during this period of time um there's this band converge that came out of Boston, like just, I mean, unbelievable. Some of the, sh- like, just some of the best underground, I would say, other than the mid 80s, it's probably some of the best indie music ever at that time. Um, so it makes sense that the bands that make it big are going to be 
a lighter version of that, right? Yeah. Um, so when this when this band comes out, in my experience, the their fans they were very young, 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 young teenagers. That's who was attracted to the to this band and Corn and Lincoln Park. I mean, we're talking, you know, 10, 10 to fourteen year olds, ten to fifteen year olds. That's right, right when you're starting to build your own um, music tastes and have, you know, you're listening to music on your own and starting to understand what you like and what you don't like. And you're starting to recognize musical artists and things like that. The normal period of time. I didn't really experience um, a whole lot of people older than that. Um, in the, when their first album came out, being attracted to the band that changes, of course, but the, the obsession with this band was unfucking believable. I still, I mean, I don't get it because I just wasn't of that age. You know, I was either 30 or turning third, late twenties. It's just, I, I did not understand why people were so obsessed with this band. And let me tell you, they were obsessed because I saw them live. And it was one of the craziest fucking things I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, so I happened to be in Belgium at the time. It's where I had my record label and my touring company. And Belgium has some of the most notorious summer summer outdoor concerts that are just fucking nuts. Like Pugel Pop is one of them. I've talked about this before. You're talking hundreds of thousands of people. No fucking shit. You know, you've seen these footage from these things, I'm sure, and like the aerial views and stuff. It's, it's bonkers. Um, so... I was there at one of the, I don't, I don't remember what, for what album it was probably later. Maybe it was their second album. Um, and so uh, the kids who would do my, um, do my table at shows, they would like sell the merch, you know, back when you had CDs and physical merch to sell at shows, they were just like, Oh, please, please. Can we go over to the stage when Slipknot plays? Oh, I want to see them so bad. And I was like, all right, fine. I'll take you guys over there. So they are in the shit and I am standing to the side of the stage and I'm watching these fucking psychos play. And I'm just, I'm much more interested in the crowd. I'm much more, I mean, they look like fucking psychos when they're on stage. I, I'm, I'm so mesmerized by what's happening in the audience. I'm just, and I turn around and look and there's like, a, you know, other people from the bands that are playing the shows or, you know, industry people were all standing there kind of waiting, whatever. And we're all just, I think our jaws were on the floor, like watching how the crowd was responding in specific to Corey Taylor. So at one point, I mean, the pits were bonkers because these kids don't know that there's like etiquette in the, pit, in the, in the pits yet. Right. <laughs> I going out the window. Yeah. You know, when you're young, you don't know yet that there's like kind yeah. of an etiquette to that. You it, learn it, it the actually, hard way. Yeah. yeah, you learn the hard way. Yeah. yeah, you get an elbow on the fucking face and someone pulls you out. Um, so at one point in between songs, he tells everybody, no, he stops, sorry, he stops a song, Corey, and says, all right, everybody, everybody, shh, I want you to be quiet. Maybe there were 40,000 people. I don't know. It was fucking insane how many people were there. And he says, I want you all to get down. Get down. Oh, yeah. And he waits. There's video of footage of this out there somewhere. They get down. Nobody was like, nah, fuck you, man. <clears throat> like all, you know, always. Mm -hmm. Nobody does that to this guy. And I'm waiting for it. I'm like, I want to see how many people actually get down. They all get down on the grass. And he's like, when I say whatever, I want you all to get the fuck up. And whatever it was. And 
he's like, but you wait until I tell you. And I'm just like, get the fuck out of here. And they do it. And when he says whatever he says, it was so the only one standing. Explosion. <laughs> I was no, we were all just like, huh. you know, we've got our arms crossed and we're just like looking at each other like, is this fucking happening? Like, talk about some power right now from this fucking band that we're all like, whatever with these guys. It just shows you the relationship between them and their listen and their their fans and their listeners. I mean, it was the craziest thing. He had absolute control over these kids and i think it had a lot to do with and we'll talk about that next who they are on stage they're they they have if you don't know slipknot for some reason if you've been living under a fucking bridge just do the googles and look at the images i just want you to look at images of them so they always wear masks right they were well in the early on they were masked up as a matter of fact you would never see them without their masks on early on they wouldn't do interviews unmasked or anything fucking smart totally brilliant kind of like kiss with the makeup i hate to use them as an example um they are a performance band and so i really wonder i have to say if they didn't have the masks and the performance would they have done so well on the charts because i don't think their music alone would have done what they ended up doing I think the the personas they created, the imagery, the 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 theatrics of it had a huge part of their success, in my opinion. I think so too. I would agree with that. Even even as a fan, I think that that played a very important part in, especially in their early success, because like Matt was kind of suggesting before, is like they 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 kind of came in a place where that kind of music was starting to get lost or get watered down and they could have easily very just been just another band that in a already oversaturated genre that just kind of gets lost in the shuffle i think they were pretty smart to be like okay hey we need to come up with something else that kind of really sets us apart and i mean i think i think there's fun in that too because uh I guess like the fan base kind of like wants to maybe create their own folklore behind mm -hmm. them and they kind of become these characters yeah. outside of who they actually are as people. Absolutely. Um, I, I think there, I think there's a bit of fun in that. I think there's a part of that is that crowd part, that crowd participation, if you will, mm -hmm. because you'll see at shows like people with their homemade masks and it's mm -hmm. just like a, especially that their their masks evolved throughout all their albums and they have like a different mask for every cycle yeah uh, except for yeah. Mick, he kind of he got lazy over the last he was like i'm not changing nobody <laughs> one of my i think favorites. it's similar to guar when people you know would dress up to go to guar shows and right, you know exactly. there have been few bands that have been able to create that where you want to dress up and and you go dressed up as something or whatever um i just want to read you guys real quick um just the the, the, this was the perfect synopsis, perfect answer I could find from all my research on the mask. So this is from a website called LadderSound.com. Slipknot masks have become a fundamental part of their identity since the band formed in 1995. It was, of course, Slipknot's linchpin clown who came up with the idea of their masks. It was shortly before the band's first ever gig on Halloween in 1995, and the band was rehearsing. We're all going around the room and asking... What are you going to wear? Remember it, clown. 
and he said, I pulled up the clown mask I had and said, I'm wearing this. He claims it didn't go down well with his bandmates. A few of them were like, no fucking way. You can't be the only guy wearing some stupid mask. And he said, so I said, I don't really care what you think. This is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. So here we are all these years later. Iconic, terrifying, and sometimes quite funny, the Slipknot masks have become such a part of their early legend that the photographer Paul Harris, who shot the band countless times in the early days, recalls being stopped by fans outside of shows and asked if he'd seen Slipknot without their masks. He would be asked, do they really have faces underneath? <laughs> and with that, the legend was born. Whether that story is true or not, how it happened um, doesn't matter. But man, I, I, that played for me a huge part, I think, in, in, in their success. Yeah, I would Definitely. say so. I mean, even, even now, you look at now that they replaced uh, one of the percussionists Everyone wants to, it's like the big internet mystery is who is Tortilla Man? Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah. And everyone wants to figure out like who yeah. the new member is. And they yeah. did it on the last album cycle when, mm -hmm. you know, unfortunately, as fans know, Paul Gray passed away. So they got a new bassist. And then Joey Jordanson uh, left the band. So they had a new drummer. So that it's just, it's, it's part of this game. And I think it's just. You could have I, almost it, not tell people that they left the band. You could right, just, you, you can stand-ins, and it's like, here, just pretend that you're that guy that, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. And I think, you know, I, I think that just again adds to like the whole folklore behind them is that now, now even now, people when they get a new member and there's a lineup change, that's like the thing. It's like, how quickly can we crack the code? Like, who is this? Yeah, new who is it? Underneath the new mask, and just I want to touch very quickly, just because from personal experience, I saw them live last summer at a big like outdoor yeah. arena. So that that moment you were talking about, they still do that. That's like a that's like their thing uh, mm -hmm. towards the end of the show. It's uh, spit it out uh, mixed with jump the fuck up, which Corey did with uh, I want to say Soulfly. I think that's a Soulfly song. Um. But he mixes it up and, and he tells everyone to get down. Mm -hmm. And it's it's the craziest, most bizarre thing I've ever been a part of in a live. Mm -hmm. Everybody listens. Like, it's just like this very hypnotic, like everybody gets down. And they wait and wait and wait until the big, you know, the big pop. And then everybody has fun. So in that moment, you understand how cults happen. <laughs> Yeah, you do. <laughs> you know, <laughs> wow, just... the first time if you don't I mean when I experienced this it was one of the first times they did this and you know if you don't know what's going on I'd be like yeah fuck you um, <laughs> it's yeah pretty incredible um, let's Sailor. move well, no. sorry go ahead, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, I was so happy you mentioned Kiss though because as I mentioned or we talked about last week on our overrated show one of the reasons why they were on the overrated list was because of the gimmick. You couldn't get past the gimmick yeah. to get to the music. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that there's the gimmick there with Slipknot, but I do think that there are more talented musicians. Um, oh, and I sure. don't, and I don't hate Corey Taylor as much as I hate Gene Simmons. So, um, <laughs> it wouldn't be possible. <laughs> it wouldn't be possible. It would be absolutely <laughs> impossible. Um, but yeah, just touch on that point that you said. I wanted to move on to talking about Iowa, yeah. the album, a little bit um, before we go down the road too far. So um, this was later on in their career was described as one of the darkest times for them. And so I want to give you some quotes. So um, Sean Crahan said, 
Recording Iowa was fucking hell. I wanted to kill myself. There was drugs, bitches, rock and roll, and all that shit. People expected so much of us then. People equals shit was our way of saying fuck off and leave us alone. There was nothing happy about Iowa, confirmed Taylor as well. All of a sudden, we were these metal stars, and we weren't really planning for it. We'd all got caught up in the lifestyle and the problems that come with that. <sighs> we're we're going to discuss this in a minute. <laughs> Let me continue. <laughs> the first single left behind was nominated for 2002 Grammy Award for Best Metal Performance at the 44th Awards. The second single, My Plague, was nominated in 2003 for the same award. Corey Taylor later revealed in an interview he put himself in... <laughs> In specific, I got to get through this one without laughing. In specific <laughs> situations to achieve his performance on the album. While recording vocals for the final song, Iowa, he was completely naked, vomiting all over himself and cutting himself with broken glass. That's where the best stuff comes from, man. <laughs> You've got to break yourself down before you can build something great. <laughs> Sounds like uh, John and Yoko shit going on there, man. You know, <laughs> like I, I recording naked never, and yeah. Guys. Um, <laughs> that is the stupidest fucking thing. Anyway, okay. So did Annie Lennox really walk on broken glass? No, I'm wondering. Yeah, you I mean yeah? You, ha you have to. It's where the best stuff comes from, Matt. <laughs> You've got to break yourself down before you can build something great. You know, you want to puke on yourself, and then something great's gonna happen. Hey, um, also. While producing this album, Ross Robinson was injured in a dirt bike accident. He suffered a fracture in his back, but returned to the studio a day after being hospitalized, reportedly putting all of his pain into the album and much to the admiration of the band. You're, they're all fucking idiots, okay? Number one. <laughs> Number one, you're all fucking stupid idiots, Okay. Sounds like Johnny Knoxville would be a great member of the band. Yeah, he really would have. So I want to go back to them saying that all of a sudden we were these metal stars. We weren't really planning for it. Fuck off. You wanted to get fucking signed by a major label. You're doing world tours. You're recording your second album. You're getting paid to play music. Okay, number one, quit your fucking whining. Quit your whining. That's the fucking, that's your problem. How about not being able to feed your family, having access to fucking healthcare, having access to education, and you're fucking, it's the worst and darkest time of your life because you're now famous and have money? Shut the fuck up. That's the shit that will make me want to just mow these motherfuckers down and was never ever listen to a song. Was again. that Taylor that said that? Is that his quote? No, that's crazy. So oh. it's both oh, Taylor and Crayon, right. both right. of them. I mean, get the fuck, get Jesus, get out of here, man. That is just, I, I really, I'm sorry. It's not like this was an accidental thing that happened to you. Like you, you're, someone took a picture of you on social media and, you know, you can't leave your house now, right? But you're not making any money from it and it's embarrassing and it's ruining your life. You wanted to get fucking signed as a band. You did not have to sign the recording contract. You didn't have to do it. So don't give me this shit. We weren't really planning for being metal stars. All right, fine. Whatever. No. And then the whole naked and vomiting and cutting yourself. Because that's where the best stuff comes from. Oh, my God. I don't even know how to respond to that one. That sounds like some really good copy pasta right there. <laughs> that's just something you throw in a Facebook thing. Seriously. Like that is just to me that sounds like comes from. a very yeah. immature 
immature, uh, mentally unwell, desperate for attention little boy. That's what that sounds like to me. Oh, they're definitely mentally unwell, especially Corey. Especially Corey. I mean, he's trying to yeah. sound profound and, well, you know, enlightened, and he just sounds like a fucking idiot. I hope he gets he yeah, needs therapy. I, mean, I hope he gets if, the therapy he needs. Well, I mean, if, if you know anything about his upbringing and what he went through and, you know, ODing on coke at 15, you know, he had a really rough fucking upbringing. All obviously, you know, self-induced, but, um, you know... I mean, even if it's not, not, but I'm saying you're, 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 you're already dealing with an unstable person here. So, uh, it surprises me, but it really doesn't surprise me at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's Iowa, (laughs) the album. (laughs) Big difference. (laughs) Yes, big difference. Iowa. <laughs> you sound like a tourist. Yeah, that, that's Iowa. So that's Iowa. <laughs> I mean, have you, I've been there, Matt, I, or, or Ed, I know you've been there. Broken glass been, everywhere. through it. Yeah. all over themselves. It's a mess. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's, <laughs> yes, everybody's puking all over themselves in Iowa. Um, yeah, there's not a whole lot to see in Iowa, I have to say. Um, it's very children of the corn. Their, their city... Des Moines is very confusing because there's two Des Moines. It's a whole shit show. It's very cold as well. It's cold <laughs> and boring. <laughs> as it is in the northern Sorry. Midwest. Sorry, Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ever hire me for tourism. <laughs> and there um, go our numbers in Iowa. Boom. <laughs> so um, if you want to read more about these idiots, Corey Taylor, and now, uh, he released a book. I think in 2011 it was um, Seven Deadly Sins Settling the Argument Between Born Bad and Damaged Good. Oh, for fuck's sake. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I just... Uh, That just does not help. (laughs) I think you should do a live reading as one of the episodes. I think... (laughs) Of the book? (laughs) Oh, my God. As read by Sailor Guevara. been doing a sonnet every day. And um, in his beautiful voice and and his beautiful cadence, yeah, I could do a. I'll, I'll read a, a chapter. Just, just a chapter. Rockstar's look- books each week <laughs> with my own little excerpts. You can probably get you somewhere. You should have known something was wrong when they brought in Rick Rubin for their third album. When they're on top of the world, and they bring oh. in Rick Rubin. Usually, when you're at your you All know, right. you want to go when something's going on and then you bring in Rick Rubin to save your career. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's, let's do, let's do that. Let's go. Let's move on to that. Cause I really want to talk about the, the producer. I mean, we, we have talked about producers often, but I think this band warrants us really going down the producer rabbit hole. So subliminal versus album. So here's what the band said about working with Rick Rubin. Band members were very divided and still remain divided over their experience um, with working with him. Some doubted his commitment to Slipknot as he split his time between too many artists at once. In 2008, um, Corey Taylor said he met Rubin only four times during the entire recording of the album. He said he barely showed up to the studio. And quote, we were being charged horrendous amounts of money. And for me, if you're going to produce something, you're fucking there. I don't care who you are. He added, he's overrated. He's overpaid. And I'll never work with him again. All right. Uh, but, but that's Jim, his thing, though. That's, 
Jim Root, <laughs> guitarist at the time, said in the same interview, quote, a lot of guys in the band say Rick was unavailable, and yeah, he takes on a lot of projects at what time, but he also does things that are beneficial. He would listen to what we've done, then he'd have us retract things that needed work. He's kind of like a big brother up on the hill. Even though he wasn't there physically every day, um, he was still there, and that's my favorite record that we've done. Um, yeah. Why in the fuck would you? I I have no idea whose decision that was. I don't think Rick Rubin had need. He didn't need to touch this band. They had no business. Uh, uh to being. T I don't know. I don't understand. I don't understand why they didn't stay with their first producer, who literally created that sound that made him that made this band so famous and so popular. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand. And Rick Rubin of all people, why? When you've got a good thing going, what were they doing? It wasn't like their albums were, were tanking and they needed to, like you said, save them. They're yeah. on a high. They're, I mean, each album is charting better than the last. Why the fuck would you change that? Especially when you know Rick Rubin has so much influence over the music. He really does. And he that's does, dangerous. That's his, that's his thing. He's not an omnipresent producer he will come in every once in a while but he will mostly let the band like do to their own devices usually yes, i know though yeah. i feel like you can yeah. hear i feel like he with this band affected their sound that's what i mean it was a rick rubin album and not a slip I, album. yeah see perfect thank you he did, he did, he did like, the same he, thing you know yeah. like his fingerprints are all over volume three Agreed. It's like you know that this is something that Rick Rubin. Did. He did the same thing to Lincoln Park when he when Lincoln yes. Park had the first two albums, which were mega hits. Yep. Uh, and then they brought him in for album number three, and it completely it changed ruined them. the band. Yeah. Changed them. Yeah. Changed them. Yeah. I mean, when when you're trying to reinvent the wheel, yes. or you're, you're trying to um, grasp at something that's not there, bad idea. And that's okay. I think that's what happened totally here. Agreed. Yeah. Ro yeah. I don't know why they moved away from Ross Robinson. I think that, you know, maybe they had to for scheduling conflicts with the second album. That's often the case. I would have gone right back to him. I mean, he created their sound. He defined them. He helped them, you know, figure out who they were. And so when you're on a high and things are only getting better, bring that guy back because they would have gelled so well together. You know, I think he would have made a completely different album that would have done. I mean, that album did. It's not like the album didn't do well. It's just was the beginning of the end, in my opinion. So I think the album would have done even better if they had gone back to Ross. Do you yeah. think that they might have been worried about going to the well one too many times and making an album that was just too much of the same of what we already got. And maybe that's why I don't think so. I think this was all label. I think this is unfortunately what happens often with young musicians. They are still very new to the business. They're still very, I mean, you know, the, they're only a couple years in, they're still very green. I think they were not able. So here's what happens. If you, you, this can go one of two ways. If you don't show up to your label fully formed, here are our songs. This is our sound. This is our identity. This is who we are. If you like it and you believe in it, you know, you can sign us. If not, we're going to move along. So you can come unformed. And if you have a really good label, if you have a really good representation, 
they're going to put you together with a producer that's going to help you form what you believe is your sound and your identity. But that can go a different way as well. You can just be led into different situations. And because you're not fully formed, because you don't either believe in your identity or you're not really locked into it and can't really produce that on your own, you're going to have this happen to you. And I think that's the problem. And that's one of my criticisms about the band is I just don't think that they were, especially with when you're changing musicians all the time, changing lineup constantly, um, were they really um, dedicated to writing on the road and, you know, demoing tracks on the road and being a cohesive entity? Were they writing together? Um, were they able to continue writing together when they would lose other members? And then having these hiatuses. I mean, when you have a hiatus after every tour and in between every album, that's a problem as well. So... I would have gone right back to the well, knowing how many problems they were having internally after the second album, right? There's so much drug abuse going on. They're, they're a fucking mess, but they're a, a cash cow. I think that's when you go back to the well. Yeah. And I think that on the, on the flip side of this, when you look at a band like Slayer, when they brought Ruben in for Rain and Blood... I think that they uh, timing is everything with this yeah. stuff, and I think that yeah. they read the landscape of what was going on, and they brought him in, and we got one of the best pieces of metal that we've ever, ever seen, ever. ever. Yes, I mean Ed would disagree, but that's fine. <laughs> but, but I, I, I wouldn't think, be surprised. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I, I was just going to say I think that's because Slayer already knew who they were. They were, they, who they, were. they had an Slayer. idea. Yes. Yeah, yeah, they were. They were already Slayer, and that's. Rick Rubin's magic is that he can touch bands sometimes. I feel like they need to know who they are, though. They need to be self-disciplined. They need to have that talent within themselves. And he can do some little zhuzhing and boom, it's magic. This is not the case. When you have a band who knows who they are, but they haven't gotten the most juice out of them that they could. Right. And you bring him in and yeah. he says... He's gonna he's gonna, you know, get the most juice out of that orange. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah, and that's what he did with Slayer in eighty six. So yes. yeah. When you bring him in when it's not broken, different story. I can't help but think there might be some might have been some friction between them and their original producer Ross at the time. Um otherwise what's the point? And then if they had to come up with someone at the last minute, who can we have that'll take us to the next level? I don't think it was Rick Rubin's never a last minute decision. I mean, he's just, he's very difficult to get to work with anyway. Um, I, I think that they were moving on after the first album, which makes sense. But uh, from all, everything that I've read, they didn't have any problem with Ross. Um, they did really, they worked really well together. Okay. I think that, um, yeah, this is just to me, this is inexperience, um, just a lot of inexperience. And I think the label, I think they made big mistakes, big, big mistakes. And then, the, you know, you've got the band doing fucking hiatuses all the time, breaking up, saying, you know, we're done, we're broken up, we're going away, we're not going to fucking talk to anybody for a year. I mean, can you imagine how frustrating that would be for your artist representation, for your label, for your, like, how... 
I mean, you run the risk of the band really breaking up and not coming back after every fucking album. I mean, I'm sure they made all their money back on the first album, but still they were signed to a seven record deal that they actually never finished. I always say that when you, you come out of the gate so hot and we've seen this before, we've seen it, uh, you know, whether we're going all the way back to Van Halen, when we did the Van Halen episodes, when they came out of the gate hot, whatever debut album you talk about, you know, uh, appetite for destruction, you come out of the gate hot, the clock starts and it's just a matter of time before everything just implodes. It's really true because you have a hot start, you're riding that adrenaline, but then you don't know how to handle it after a certain time. Album two, album three, everything starts to unravel. We've seen it so many times and I don't think there's an actual antidote, you know, for something like that. When you have such a hot debut like that, just my two cents. No, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, you know, you hit a certain level and some bands are lucky enough to like really make it an, a lasting impression in the music industry. But it's like, those are big shoes to fill for yourself mm-hmm. to stay there your entire career. Like you're starting your career, which is at that level, which is great, but you've got to stay there for the next 15, mm-hmm. 20 years, if possible. Yep, and that's a minority of the bands that actually do it. Yeah. It's not that many bands that have been able to do it. No. Yeah, absolutely. No. Absolutely. Well, I think, I mean, overall, uh, Slipknot has never been a band that I cared for musically. Um, I mean, you know, if I have the opportunity, had the opportunity back in the day to see them live, they were entertaining. I wouldn't pay for it. You know, they were definitely entertaining, but it was ne- never, never music that I liked. I really just, I wasn't into that whole genre of music then either. I think, like I said, I was a little too old at that point and had, you know, there was a, a type of metal, there was a type of sound that I wanted to hear other than what was coming out in the late 90s and early 2000s to mid 2000s. So just didn't do it for me. And Ed, you made quite a statement earlier today. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like you to repeat that for the listeners. Oh, yeah. This was off in our our DMs to each other um, earlier. I was talking about listening to Slipknot, and I made a comparison. And only the most, our more diehard listeners will get this. But um, I remember it was, we did our Slayer episode. And I had never listened to Slayer before that episode. <laughs> and I kind of gave a similar reaction uh, to Slayer as I did to Slipknot. Um, maybe a little harsher at the time. I don't I don't really remember. Oh, but um, wait, your your Slayer reaction is way harsher. Okay, yeah, I'm sure it was. But anyway, I guess uh, my um, podcast cohorts thought it was so hilarious they made this edometer and Slayer was all the way on the bad end. So I'm thinking my first thought was, okay, I would listen to these guys. I would listen to Slayer before I would listen to these guys again, I think. So we may have to recalibrate the edometer. <laughs> so that's, I'm going to make a new edometer. I'm going to put, <laughs> I'm going to put, and we're going to re- replace, I'm going to do like a cross out of Slayer and we're going to put uh, Slipknot there. 
But honestly, it kills me um, to say that about some of these bands because there are elements of their music I do like, but oh, the whole package I just can't deal with. So it was an interesting time in music. I will say that. Yeah, very interesting. Like you know, a lot of the bands that came out that were, I should say, that were very popular and dominating the airwaves, like Corn. I will never understand. I will never understand how I, I just can't do it. I, I I can't even listen to the to their sound. <laughs> They're fucking horrific. <laughs> Lincoln Park. I I God forbid a song comes on near me. I can't get it out of my head. Not because I don't like it, but I can't stand the whining, the repetitive whine. Just stick. Oh, it just God. I would do anything to get the song out of my head. I had to listen to yodeling once. I read that somewhere. That if you've got a song stuck in your head and you can't get it out, just Google yodeling albums. Automatically. So yeah. All right. Well, um, so we have one one fan. We have a one absolutely fucking not fan. Matt, where are you at? Are you like in the middle or would you call yourself a fan? I understand their importance at the time they started. Um, you know, I understand all of that. Uh, I've seen them live, as you have Sailor, as you have uh, Chris. Um, very early, like Sailor, I saw them live. Great show, great performers. Uh, outside of that first album, which grabbed me to a certain extent, uh, it was all the all of the other extenuating stuff that kind of turned me off to them because I pay attention to everything. It's not just the music for me um, or the talent. I do, you know, dabble in all that other stuff, whether it's the in band fighting or just listening to interviews of guys, um, which brings me to, you know, Corey Taylor, who, um, you know, I feel bad for the guy on one end because he had a terrible upbringing, uh, made some poor choices, maybe not totally his fault, but in a lot of ways, he reminds me of Axl Rose in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. not talent wise, because no, no, no. because Axl is Axl, um, but in sort of a terrible upbringing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Same as Axl. Mm -hmm. we, we've covered that, mm -hmm. uh, but sort of just that my shit don't stink sort of thing yes. that I just, I just fucking hate, you know, explaining um, away your bad behavior, you know, like yeah. first of all, we should acknowledge that Corey, Corey Taylor is an addict and, and that is, I believe yeah, the that, disease. that's the part of me predisposed yeah. to it. It's a fucking disease and it's terrible. And I would never, ever, um, I never want to admonish someone that is an addict, but there's addict behavior that you can't do, you know, that you have a hard time controlling. There's, you know, all of these impulses that you really cannot control until, you know, you hit a point where you want help and get help. Um, for me, it's when you have access to everything to get you that help when you have access to, because you have, um, you're cared for in certain ways, uh, medically, financially. I, I think that that I, then I have a very hard time. I have a very hard time feeling sorry for people that go even 10, 15, 20 years later, they're still 
making excuses for their behavior. Yeah. And he has a certain, yeah, go ahead. As opposed to saying, you know, I was young, I was dumb. I've been addict. That was addict behavior. You know, I, I, I've been trying to get back on the wagon. I try to get help. Even if it's not successful now, that's okay. Keep trying every day. You just get up and try again. Right. But to still explain away that behavior, make excuses for it is when I'm done with them. That's it. Then you don't have my sympathy anymore. Right. That's sorry. Uh, great point, Sailor. And, you know, he has a certain magnetism to him. I get that. Uh, whether I've seen him with Slipknot, I've seen him with Stone Sour. Uh, Stone Sour, not by choice. They were on the actually on the same bill as Megadeth, believe it or not. What the fuck? Believe, believe it or not. Yes. Um, but yeah, well, there were a lot of bands there. But oh, yeah. Okay. Um, but I had to sit <laughs> through them to get to. You know, Can Dave. you imagine Dave Mustaine hanging out? There's no fuck. Oh my god! Uh, that was th- th- hold on. That wasn't even the beginning of what was on that bill. I'll talk. I'll talk about that some oh off god. the air. But um, he has a certain magnetism to him. I get it. But it's just that little bit of stink of Axl Rose on him mm-hmm. that just completely turns me off from him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I love outside of that first album the impact it had and those two songs that. I, I do love those two songs. Um, other than that, I can take them or leave them, honestly. So Matt's more of a centrist on this. Yeah. <laughs> but you have some songs that you absolutely love from the band. There are two. Early yeah. On, right? Yeah, because, the, because they um, invoke certain things in me that, you know, with, with the hockey comparison, I said, like, like those are two. He wants to kill people when he listens. Yeah. To <laughs> <laughs> those are two songs that get me, get me jacked up when I need to get jacked up, either before a workout or before, you know, a hockey game or something like that. I think for me, I would definitely say I'm not a fan of the band. Um, I do absolutely respect what they managed to do and, you know, their contribution certainly to that time in music, um, their contribution to uh, getting young kids excited about hard music. And then they went on to actually listen to good metal bands. Thanks for that guys. Um, (laughs) That would be probably their most important contribution. Trojan horse compliment there. Yeah. Bada bing, guys. I'm here all night. Um <laughs> that's 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 about as many compliments as I can give them. I do, you know, I think I don't they're great performers for sure. Um I don't have to care, I don't have to like the per, the uh the substance, but I can certainly say someone is they're 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 better performers than they were and are musicians, in my opinion. Um they were great at um, they were great at keeping that, like you said, Christian, that um, the lore and the, you know, still, I can't believe they're still fucking doing it to this day. That's mind blowing. I mean, how many years did Corey Taylor go without showing his face? I remember it being a fucking MTV news 
item. Yeah. The first it was like a big thing until uh, you know he decided to start Stone Sour. Yeah, I, like, I remember it. We all know that you're the guy from Slipknot. Right. It was a news, <laughs> it was an MTV news segment like about breaking news. Corey Taylor of Slipknot is revealed without his mask on, and I was just like, "What the fuck? Are we really fucking doing this right now?" And I looked at his face. I'm like, "Mm-hmm. Okay." But at the time, I happened to be sitting with my kids. I called them. My my young lads, they were very like they they were still college age, and um, I happened to be sitting with two of them, and we were like folding t shirts or something for an upcoming show, and they were flipping the fuck out that they got to see Corey Taylor's face, and they were just talking about it all night. I remember driving to the show and being like, "You guys, shut the fuck up! I don't. No one's allowed to say this fucker's name anymore." Don't they were. I mean, it was all the rage like, for so like when long. Kids took the makeup off. It's like the same Man. thing. Yes, very. Oh, yeah. yeah, that was yeah. a huge deal back in the day. Man, they should have kept the fucking makeup on though. <laughs> Especially <laughs> now. Hey, they put it back yeah. on. They should have kept the makeup on and put fucking socks on their mouths and shut them the fuck up. <laughs> that's a whole other. That's all. That's a whole other discussion. Have we? We should do like, you know what? I would really love. Especially because like shit's so stressful right now. Before the year's over, we should have a shit on kiss night. Shit on kiss. <laughs> oh, we could come up with like ten. Oh, I'll God. write another poem like I wrote for for Metallica on Valentine's oh, Day. Um, ten we did ways a, why we did I a Gene hate Simmons you. episode. So you want to like expand it to like? No, I want to do like a whole shit on kiss. Kiss. Night. Right. Yes. I'm I'm with you. I'll, I'll write some sonnets about how much I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> I know there's software man. out there where you can have like oh god someone told me this a long time ago you can have like a famous person's voice like read stuff it's like a it's like a soft you know what I'm talking about Ed so it's like a a computer simulation of someone's yes. voice that will just read whatever yeah, stuff you, in there yes yeah, so maybe, yeah. maybe I can find one with Patrick Stewart Oh, I'm oh, gonna have a lot of oh, fun with Samuel L. Jackson stuff later. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> or Morgan Freeman, you know James Earl Jones. Oh, uh, that would be really good. More than, there's a lot of choices here. There is a lot of choices. <laughs> there. Oh my yeah. god! Uh, yeah, that would Morgan Freeman would be a good one. <laughs> Why do I hate thee so? <laughs> Why is thee such poobel? Um, <laughs> let's add that to the list, guys. I just got to say kudos to uh, Chris for coming on here and being such a good sport about while we uh, crap all over his, one of his favorite brands. It's all good. It's all love. Uh, I was expecting you to put up a better fight, man. You're, you're, you're a wrestling fan. Yikes. Well, I, th I thought my tag team partner here would have had me, but. Uh, oh, we're going to have then. We're gonna have to get you. We're gonna have to get you kind back. Kind of leading towards back and forth. Yeah, well, I'm teasing the heel turn, man. No, but I, I mean, I, <laughs> I clearly. Uh, yeah. But, I Maybe mean, that's, that's I the, should have to learn a little bit about wrestling, and then I can argue with you guys about wrestling. <laughs> so who's the, the favorite wrestler, Chris? Because I, my wrestling experience, the the last time I watched wrestling, it was like. Hulk Hogan and Roddy 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 Piper. Hey, that's, the hey, that's the golden age, man. Fucking that's, that's late eighties. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> Mine was For glow, me. but the original glow. I think I was like 11. So I think it was like 19, I don't know how old I was, 1987. I used to watch Glow and I would get in trouble for it. I think that's the last time. I mean, everybody always knew. Um, everybody always knew Hulk Hogan. Brother. Everybody knows that guy. And who toured with Cindy Lauper? Remember they even had their own show oh, together? Oh, yeah. That was the, uh, the guy with the... the- Lou oh, Albano. Man. He was in the video for uh um, yeah. they Captain, went on Lou. Captain yeah. Lou. Yeah. Captain Lou. Yeah. 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 all over his face. It was yeah. in her book she talks about how the <laughs> what a weird fucking time in the world that the label was like, I have a great idea. Let's put this orange haired lady who sings music we don't understand together with this uh wrestling weird. guy and they're gonna Actually, tour together. Yeah. You know that was that was a big deal in the mid '80s to bring oh, her in, smart. yeah. Because and she was in the corner of Wendy Richter, who was you know female wrestling was not it was nowhere near what it was then not as it is now, not even close. Not but you know Wendy Richter, they were pushing as the female Hulk Hogan at the time, um, and to bring Cindy Lauper in, who's this huge star, um, it drew a lot of eyes. You know who weren't wrestling fans. Well, so, it was I mean, smart. It, it made it a big deal. That, yeah. That was like they a did key, it before she was that big. Yeah. That was like a key moment for crossover and pop culture appeal with wrestling, I think, mm-hmm. too. Because after that, I mean, a couple of, you know, a decade later, Mike Tyson is there with D Generation X. And it was just like, it was all about getting the big stars involved. Yeah. In I mean, we started seeing, you know, we started seeing wrestlers, professional wrestlers on in movies and on our favorite sitcoms and then, you know, vice versa, metal bands were opening up and, you know, new wave, like whatever bands, rock bands were opening up for some of the metal shows or on wrestling tours and things like that. I mean, I remember that. I remember begging. Oh my God. I, I begged, I think I was in the seventh grade and I begged my mom to let me go to the um, monster, monster, monster truck rally. Because it was Sunday, monster trucks. Sunday. Exactly. And it was Sunday. whoever was the biggest wrestling star at the time. And then, fuck, I can't. It was a rock band. I can't remember who it was. Someone that I really liked and was really good. And it was all happening together, right? I could have given two shits about the, really, the wrestling aspect. Because I wasn't, I mean, I I probably would have been, I don't know. I shouldn't say that. I was really interested in the band but i also was like oh fuck you monster trucks there'll be lots of hot guys there and she didn't let me go it could have been a defining moment in my life monster yeah it's been the whole cindy lobber thing was like a pretty historic moment and now you look like in modern day i mean matt knows nxt has all out life by slipknot as their theme song and then yeah. mm-hmm. Code Orange opened up a wrestling show. Like they performed live to open up the show. So, yeah. And they have their own shirt. I can't remember a time where a metal band had a, a WWE shirt. Like they wow. have their own shirt that you can. I bought it, obviously. Like an official one. Wow. Yeah. It's like it was for the event and it's a Code Orange shirt and it's like sold by WWE. So that's awesome. Not, I mean, not to mention, too, you know, Motorhead played at WrestleMania. They yeah. played tri- yeah. Triple H in. Triple H spoke at Lemmy's funeral. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he was one of the guys that spoke and okay. uh, gave a eulogy okay. at Lemmy's funeral. Um, 
you know, very, very there's there's a relationship there that is very 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 important and very deep when it comes to hard music and you know professional wrestling definitely. Sure. That'd be a cool show yeah. to do a crossover That's on the well, a discussion on the intersection of rock and nah. wrestling. Yeah, Joan Jett played in Ronda Rousey mm-hmm. WrestleMania a couple of years ago, so pretty cool. Yeah, I remember wrestlemania being a rock thing like i that's how we perceived it right ed as kids it was very much like and they looked like like most of the guys had like long hair like they kind of looked like rockers too you know it was like oh wrestling there was a wrestling guy but you could tell he's probably a rocker you know also was kind of the imagery at the time um mm-hmm. Hulk Hogan was supposed to be the basis for Metallica. Right. So the story goes. <laughs> right. So the story goes. <laughs> yeah. Him, which I mean, yeah. I no. But yeah, uh, I remember that. That's another, that's a fantastic. Yeah, uh, you imagine six foot eight, 330 Hogan pounds on stage with the skinny oh California yeah, kids. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. That- the bell told brother. Yeah. <laughs> you just took it from me, damn it. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry for stealing your thunder. <laughs> I can't tell you how many for how many years everything was brother. Like everything we did with mommy could scream at us, stop saying that. When we say, okay, mother. There you go. <laughs> oh my God. Well, this was this was super fun. Christian, thanks so much for, for coming on and putting up with my potty mouth and yeah, shitting all over your favorite band. <laughs> One of my favorites. One I mean, of your favorite bands. My, really my favorite. I, okay. I sent Matt a list of who who do you guys mo- more probable probable to cover? And he was like, yeah, I probably Slipknot. It's the most old. Like uh, um, They started earlier than any of the other bands, so this was, yeah. I figure, the Makes best sense. bet. Yeah. But regardless, right. I mean, I appreciate you yeah. guys having me, and it was fun talking something outside of wrestling and so music and whiskey are probably my two biggest loves outside of professional wrestling so i wanted to take a break from my show and just doing the wrestling talk and talk music with some really a really great crew that really uh like i said i've been listening to some of your episodes and i really love what you guys do i love the way you guys break it down and just the chemistry you guys have and just that feel that we also try to emanate on our shows, just a couple of friends together, just shooting the shit. So uh, well, thanks. thanks. Thank you for making the time out for me and fitting me in. And I mean, for better or for worse, it is this spooky season. So what better way to kick off October than a bunch of freaks and masks, right? Hell yeah. I mean, that's a good <laughs> point. Yeah. That's a good point. And you actually, um, you've been doing something very unique. You are trying to watch, a different horror movie every day in October, correct? That is correct. So I started on October 1st. I'm going to, obviously because of tonight, I couldn't. So I'm going to have to double up tomorrow, but I'm okay with that. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm trying to, you know, because I mean, cable networks have been doing these for, you know, marathons for years and years. I was like, why don't I actually try and sit and watch a horror movie every, every year? And so, I'm keeping a list of them. I might cover it on uh, at the end of the month on our show. So we'll see. But it's been fun so far. And um, like I was saying before, uh, 
I listened to your Halloween episode from last year and got a couple of ideas of what to watch. So <laughs> I, I watched for those for the listeners that did. I, I watched Fire in the Sky because you guys were talking about it. So oh, fuck that movie. I was interested. It is disturbing. Yes. No, Anything no, no. that's plausible is what fucks me up. Like, if it's something so not plausible, it's not going to scare me. Right. But when it's like it, when it's very, that's like I don't like the disturbing. When it could happen. It's yes. Like, that's why and I'm like, me. God forbid aliens really exist like that and are like, you know, snatching us up at night and sticking things up our butt. Oh, God, no. No, I don't know. Thank you. About about that one, though, and a lot of these a lot of these alien abduction stories, they've been able to discount for one yeah. reason or another. He's a different story. Like they, no one has been able to discount anything this guy has said. There have been witnesses corroborating what he said, um, and you know how they put it on film just stays with me to this day. Yeah, <laughs> the lie detector test too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 disturbing. Yes, I think if you believe it enough yourself, if you are like, first of all, you know, reality is our own construct, right? So, I mean. It's if you really believe something, and I think that is the case. I don't know why I'm going to mention cults again for the second time in one show, but I think that's the case for some cult leaders. Is they really? I think a lot of them are full of shit, but some of them really, really believe what's happening or what they think or what you know what they're preaching. I think if you try to like, if you give someone that truly believes this has been their experience. You're, you're going to pass a lie detector test. You're going to be able to be able to corroborate things because as far as, far as you're concerned, it actually happened. You know, it's your truth. It yeah. exactly. It's, it's so right. I think that's what is what comes across in his story is that it's so genuine because he definitely believes this. I do not think for one second that he's in, intending to bullshit anyone. And I mean, I'm not saying it fucking happened, but that's what makes it so compelling is that he really truly believes it. Let's just all hope it's not true. <laughs> Cause I don't want that to be true. <laughs> well, 2020 has given us a few surprises already. You shut so. your yeah. dirty mouth, young man. Yeah, we're still got, uh, Almost we're, three months left. Yeah, we're in the fourth <laughs> quarter right hey, now. So. Everybody calm the fuck down. We don't say these things out loud. Don't you know that by now? <laughs> I, my bingo card is not only full, but I've written on both sides of it. My There's no more. There's no more room. We've got to be done with this shit. We need a break. On that note, I think it's time to wrap it up. We've been here for a while, and it's been super fun. Um, love to have you back anytime, Christian. And um, I think it'd be super fun to get together and have your partner on too and talk about uh, rock and wrestling. And um, yeah, again, please tell us uh, where people can find your show and where they can find you as well on the internets. So we are on Instagram at Through the Table and on Twitter at 3TPod. That's the number three, the letter T-P-O-D. You could find me on Twitter at the Rice Crispy. That's C-H-R-I-S-P-Y. I'm not really super active on my personal, but uh, those are the podcast pages. So to stay up to date with what we're up to and the latest wrestling news, check out Through the Table. Awesome. Thanks. Very good. Awesome. Matt, 
get us out of here. All right. As always, thanks for sticking around. We hope you enjoyed that discussion as much as we did and we always do. You can find us on Instagram at Metal Rock Whiskey and on Twitter as well. Uh, we have a pretty cool Twitter page. Go check it out. And we also have a super cool Facebook group under Spirit of Rock Podcast Network. You can follow us individually as well. You can find me at the Whiskey Obsessor. That is Whiskey Save the E. Sailor. You can find me all over the internet as Sailor Retro. And they can find me on Instagram as Bourbon Geek. And uh, hey, listeners, if you love us or even just like us, please, we ask that you hit that subscribe button and give us a review because it really does matter to us. And of course, tune in next week for another episode of Metal Rock and Whiskey. And on that note, fuck you, Axel Rose. Yeah. Later, everyone. Hey, this is Sailor, and you're listening to a Spirit of Rock podcast network show. Find this show and many others at spiritofrockpods.com.